We are going chapter by chapter through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And for the next couple of weeks, we are in that passage focusing on Noah, the ark, and the worldwide flood. Now, Noah's ark may bring different things to your mind. Uh, Maybe a controversial movie starring Russell Crowe. One reviewer described it as utterly preposterous, often exasperating, but endearingly unhinged. (laughs) Or you might think of America's largest water park named Noah's Ark, located in Wisconsin. It has, according to its website, received the top award for aquatic safety every year since 1995. Or you might think of the Ark Encounter. That attraction located in Kentucky, a full-scale model of Noah's Ark. Or you might think of the, one of the 20 preschools in Texas alone named Noah's Ark. My wife taught in one of them for a number of years. Did you know that virtually every culture in the world has a story about a great flood? North American Indian legends tell about pairs of animals taken on a raft. The Hindus have the story of Manu and seven others who are saved by boat from a worldwide flood. For the Chinese, it is Fahi with his wife, three sons, and three daughters. The Hawaiians have a flood story where only one good man was left in a wicked world. His name was Nau, and he made a great canoe with a house on it for his family and filled it with animals. The Aborigines, the Sumerians, the Akkadians, the Indonesians, the Polynesians, the Greeks, the Mexican Indians, and Irish all have similar stories. And of course, one of the most famous flood accounts is the Babylonian epic of Gilgamesh. The hero is Utnapishtim. Ancient cuneiform tablets have been uncovered that chronicle that account. Fragments of those tablets are more than 4,000 years old. Well, what does this tell us? Well, it's a, it's a pretty good indication that the, the earth had some really high water a long time ago. In uh, recent years, more signs of a catastrophic flood have been uncovered by maritime explorer Bob Ballard. Uh, he found evidence under the Black Sea, right in the area where the Noah story took place, in Turkey, uh, in Iran. And so, really, the debate is not so much if there was a catastrophic flood, but when it happened and how big it was, what kind of area did it cover? Now please understand that the importance of Noah's story does not rise or fall with scientific proof. While scientific research attempts to, uh, to, to prove, to look into how and where and when this happened, that's not how we should invest our worship time this morning. I believe that Noah and the flood uh, is an actual event in history that happens as the Bible records. But God wants us to learn more than that. Uh, For example, the whole truth of Christianity rests on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. That if he did not rise, then we have no hope, and all of this is a supreme waste of time. But to focus merely on proving beyond a doubt that the resurrection happened is not ultimately helpful. Why? Why? Because you can believe that and still not be saved. Uh, As uh, James tells us, you believe that there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So uh, you can believe that Jesus rose from the dead. they, They know, the demons know who Christ is, and they're terrified. They're in awe of his power, yet they are lost. 
And so you might be firmly convinced that there's a God, you might uh, believe that Jesus died and rose again, but unless and until you put your full, complete trust in him alone uh, as the Savior, until you turn away from self and from sin to God alone, then you are lost and without hope. And so there's something beyond facts and evidence and proof that's all important. And when we come to the record of the Genesis flood, it would be uh, at best inadequate for us to hear some evidence and go home thinking, well, I'm convinced there was a worldwide flood. God has more important things to teach us than that. Now, our previous studies in Genesis brought us up to the point that Noah obeyed God and built this ark, and God was preparing to destroy a world that was out of control, a culture soaked in violence, as we saw last week. Uh, society had rejected God, but Noah was different. God acted in grace to save Noah and his family from judgment. Now, the ark uh, if uh, one diagram here gives you a bit of an idea, it was not a sailing ship, but more of a flat-bottomed uh, box as long as one and a half football fields with 1.4 million cubic feet of space, rooms, individual nests for the animals. Some estimates say that given the size of the ark and the number of animals that would need to be inside, these animals could fit in uh, two of the three decks, leaving one deck for Noah's family and all the food. And remember, this craft would not need to be launched or sailed. It would simply float. It took years upon years, decades to build. And during all that time Noah and his sons were building, Noah preached as he worked. He announced the judgment to come. But no one outside Noah's family listened. And so we pick up where we left off in chapter 7, verse 7. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. And after seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. Uh, just think of the, the, the faith that it would take for Noah to get into the ark before any rain started. Uh, sitting in a boat on dry ground, waiting with an ark full of animals, uh, and, and, then, and God shutting the door. And seven days later, the rains began. And 40 days after that, the deluge stopped. And it was more than a year before they could leave the ark. Now, I'm not boasting, I'm just telling you a fact that I've never gotten seasick. And I have been in some pretty rough water. I've been on the open ocean with the commercial fishermen in rough water. I've been in some other places where everybody is leaning over the side, I'm fine. Um, I went, once went on a, a men's fishing trip. Uh, my dad was there. Strongest man I ever knew, my dad. First time in my whole life I ever saw weakness in him. He was green from the, the rough waters. And my friend Dave was, was over the side uh, chumming for fish involuntarily, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but I, on the other hand, had a great time. Uh, I just enjoyed it. But when I think about being on this ark in a torrential storm like nothing had ever been seen before, shut in there for more than a year, my palms get sweaty. It, it makes me a little queasy to think about. Uh, and at verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, that uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, my, 
my favorite band, U2. But you need to understand, I appreciate all different kinds of music, and blues is one of those things that I enjoy. And uh, Sister Rosetta Tharp uh, sang a song, Didn't It Rain, back in the 60s. A great, a great song. And uh, it said, rain 40 days, it rained 40 nights. Uh, there was no land nowhere in sight. She's singing about this flood. No land in sight. Uh, that, that word for rain is not a normal one. This is about an abnormal rainfall. But more than a heavy downpour occurred. You can see right there in the text. Reservoirs within the earth burst open. And with this rising flood came destruction. All creation outside of the ark began to die. And as you read through this text, you see the emphasis on this rising water covering the earth. Uh, just look at here, at verse 17, the waters increased and lifted the ark high above the earth. Verse 18, the waters roar, rose and increased greatly. Uh, verse 19, they rose greatly and covered all the high mountains. Verse 20, the waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. And so that final description is that the flood was at 20 feet above the mountains. So clearly, nothing outside that ark could survive, and that is the point. And so therefore, verse 22, everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. So what a somber, dismal scene. And the death list of all living creatures that is included in the text is given in the very order of their original creation. Just as God breathed into these creatures the breath of life, now he removes that breath in judgment. And water is everywhere, just like it was before God created anything else, except now there was this wooden box bobbing on the dark waters. Verse 23, only Noah was left and those with him in the ark the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Now it's important that you feel the empty, gloomy devastation here. The silence of a watery grave, the tragic loss of life that occurs, the awesome power of these mighty waters surging over the land. In uh, 2011, I'm sure you remember the earthquake and tsunami that hit Japan, and that brought mind-boggling devastation. That wave of water traveled six miles inland and destroyed virtually everything in its wake, killing about 20,000 people. As horrific as that event was, trying to conceive of the awful power of this Genesis flood is beyond imagination. I want to show you something in how the Noah story is written and recorded here that you might not pick up while reading it casually. It's called mirror imaging. So let me point it out to you. And in chapter 6, God resolves to destroy. And in chapter 8, God resolves not to destroy. Chapter 6, Noah builds an ark. In chapter 8, Noah builds an altar. Chapter 7, God commands them into the ark. And then in chapter 8, God commands them to leave the ark. The flood begins in chapter 7, and the earth dries in chapter 8. The flood prevails 150 days, chapter 7. The flood recedes 150 days, chapter 8. And all of this points to one thing. That's what I want you to see. And that is God remembers Noah. That's the middle of this. That's the most important detail in this story. For all those days and years of building and waiting and raining and floating and swaying, wouldn't it seem as if God had forgotten uh, wouldn't it seem, don't, do you think Noah and his family sat in that ark going, isn't this great? This is wonderful. 
We were hoping for a vacation on the water. This is wonderful. <laughs> no, it, how lonely, dark, and scary this must have been for them. I, I, it's hard to appreciate that. Everything they knew was wiped out. As far as they could see, there's nothing but raging water everywhere. But God remembered. Now, what does that mean? Did God suddenly go, I knew I was forgetting something. I, I knew. No. It, it, this is an expression that means that God's going to take action. That God is ready to move. Now, some examples in Scripture. When Abraham was fearful that God would wipe out Lot's family along with Sodom and Gomorrah, God remembered. When Rachel could not have a child, God remembered and opened her womb. When Israel was trapped in slavery for hundreds of years, and it seemed God remembered and sent a deliverer. And since this idea of God remembering is central to the flood account, hear this truth, that God remembers even when everything tells us he's forgotten. It was at this bleakest point where there was only water in every direction, when the rain was still falling and the storm still raging, that God remembered. And not even then did things immediately change in any discernible way. There was no miraculous end to this deluge. God began the natural processes of ending the flood. You see it here, chapter 8. And God sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. So along with the great wind blowing, moving, evaporating the water, God sealed up the springs of the earth, and the water returned to its normal place above the sky, below the earth, and on the earth. The Hebrew says that the water flowed off the earth continuously. That God remembered Noah and he took action, but it was another 150 days of continuous uh, movement before the waters uh, were apparently receding. And uh, exactly five months after the flood begins, the ark comes to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Not the peak of Ararat, which is 17,000 feet high, but somewhere in the foothills, in the mountains of Ararat, it says. Uh, and that area is of a, a, a space of about 100,000 square miles. And there would still be another 80 days before it would be safe to leave the ark. So they spent a total of 371 days inside this floating refuge. And the truth is that God remembers even when everything tells you he's forgotten. Pastor Randy Frazee shared what happened as uh, he sat beside his mother's bedside as she was dying. He said this, I prayed 50 times. Fifty times I asked God to grant my request, and I did this because I'd studied the teaching of Jesus on prayer. I thought if I knocked continuously, eventually God would arise from his seat and fix my problem. I asked God specifically to give my mother one of two things. I prayed 50 times, God, give her 18 more years, or God, take her today. I asked for 18 more years for a particular reason. My mother was 62, and 18 more years would make her 80. I thought that was a good round number. But more specifically, my oldest brother just had had a baby girl. And I thought it would be great if my mother could see her graduate from high school. I followed the example of Hezekiah. On his deathbed, he prayed and cried out to God for more time. And God heard his prayer, saw his tears, and gave him 15 more years. Now I asked my mother for 18, for my, 18 years for my mother. But he didn't give me 18 more years, not even 18 months or even 18 days. Within 18 hours, my mother passed away. And I had to ask myself the question, what's that all about? Does God not love me? Have I not served him? 
Did he not see my tears? Why did God come through for Hezekiah and not Randy Frazee? Have you asked a question like that before? Why hasn't God come through? Where is he? Well, I needed him. How many times have you prayed and prayed and prayed and it seemed like God was absent? We need to hear the Noah story and let the truth soak into our souls that God remembers even when everything tells you he's forgotten. And that includes the injustice we see in our world as evil prospers and the guilty go unpunished and the innocent suffer all too often. Unethical corporations and executives enrich themselves while impoverishing other people. The sexual appetites of American men are fed by sex trafficking and child slavery. Dictators and violent regimes oppress and kill their own people to stay in power. Children who've done absolutely nothing wrong other than have a parent suffering from disease waste away themselves. Women and men violate their vows, devastating their marriages and the emotional health of their children. Greedy companies destroy the environment to make a buck. Religious zealots blow up the innocent in the name of their deity. Civilized people value neglected animals over the lives of unborn children. Where is God in all of that? And the answer is that God has promised not to judge sin here and now anymore. If God sent judgment every time it was deserved, there'd be a flood every day. Instead, God poured out his judgment upon his own son at the cross. There is a flood of eternal judgment coming, the day when God will ultimately judge evil, the day when God will judge his creation and rescue his people from a dying world and bring them to the home he's prepared Peter says that day will come like a thief and the elements will be destroyed with fire and everything will be laid bare. Judgment day is coming, but an ark has been provided. And the only escape is to find refuge in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 2 Peter 2 says that just as God protected Noah and his family, so he protects all of those who are in Christ. Just as God brought a flood of judgment on the world, so he will bring judgment on all who do not believe. And looking around at how things are, we may be tempted to think God has forgotten. But even when all of the evidence is to the contrary, God remembers. God does not abandon his promises or his people. And his people are all those who cling to Christ as the only means of salvation. He is the way. Don't miss the boat. There's only one refuge from the wrath to come, and his name is Jesus. Now there are also lesser floods that threaten you. You can know you are saved from the final judgment and know your faith is in Jesus and yet be struggling in high water over other things. Facing circumstances in your life, maybe you are right now where it seems, it feels as if God has forgotten you. Maybe it's a, a flood of grief over someone you've lost and you've prayed 50 times and they died anyway. But no, Jesus says in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. God remembers you. Maybe your marriage is circling the drain and life as you know it looks grim. Someone you've loved and trusted had tossed, tossed you aside as if you were nothing. Psalm 27 says, even if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. God remembers you. Perhaps relationship troubles are crushing you or you feel panic over your financial future. Hebrews 13 says, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can humans do to me? God remembers you. 
Maybe it's an addiction to drinking or to spending or lusting or collecting. You need to hear God's promise that in your temptation, he provides a way out so that you can stand up under it. God remembers you. Maybe you face the rising tide of loneliness or disease or discouragement. You're treading water and you don't know how long you can keep that up. We have a God who says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God remembers. This picture's 20 years old. It's me with my two daughters. Our oldest, Jathniel, was uh, in college. And our youngest, Carissa, was nine at this point. I won't tell you how old I was, but it was 20 years ago. <laughs> you see, some friends generously took us our family on our first and so far only cruise. And it was wonderful. This was that emergency drill. I don't know if they still do that or not. You can tell how happy Carissa is about the whole idea. <laughs> well, one night this huge ship got into the midst of a storm and it's, the entire ship is rolling, rocking and swaying. People are getting sick, queasy. Calling for gravel. I was fine. Remember me? I was, I was fine. A week later, we're back home in Chicago. And Carissa, nine-year-old, said, Dad, the boat is still rocking. And even though your trust is in Jesus and you are eternally safe and secure in the Savior, you might be in a torrential storm today or a storm that was in the past, and the boat is still rocking. You're still feeling the effects. But I want to tell you today that God is not forgotten. Years before this, when our oldest daughter did something deserving of punishment, one of the three times, I think it was, <laughs> I decided to punish her by banishing her to her room for 30 minutes. Now, this, it was a Saturday, and in her room, there's no TV. None of us had a cell phone or a computer. She's just in there for 30 minutes, which now I know was probably too long, given how old she was. But it was a Saturday. I went on with my day. I mowed the yard. I did some other things. And then I, I heard a faraway voice. It was a, a quiet, repentant voice, and it softly called out, Dad... What? Can I come out now? Come out from where? My room. And I looked at the clock. It had been nearly an hour and a half. And I felt horrible. I still feel kind of bad. I forgot. I'm here to tell you the message of Noah is that the father never forgets. Even though we get to the point where that's exactly how it feels, and there are many times the Bible records people feeling that exact way, the psalmist says, Why have you forgotten me, O Lord? Isaiah the prophet says, The Lord has forgotten me. He's forsaken me. But the answer God gives to the prophet Isaiah is the same one he gives to us. He says, Can a mother forget her baby even if she did forget, I will never forget you. And so, yes, 
the floodwaters rise, but God remembers. And he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You get anxious or fearful, but God says he doesn't forget a single sparrow. So don't worry because he remembers you. You fail and you fall short, but God remembers. And the blood of Jesus purifies you from all sin. You're battered with storms of doubt and dread, but God remembers and provides a way of escape so you won't give in. You're weak and suffering, but God remembers and works for the good of those who love him. Death comes closer every single day, but God remembers, and not even the grave can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus our Lord. God remembers, even when everything tells you he's forgotten. Would you stand and receive this benediction? Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until that day when our Lord Jesus comes again. God who calls you is faithful, and he will do it.